0: All right. A um, couple of uh, thoughts and comments that uh, I just want to insert here um, regarding the question that was asked about social media and all the rest. Uh, an additional thought there is to is to not use texting. Don't use electronic means. To enter into, continue or resolve conflicts, <laughs> you know, don't don't try to carry on a disagreement or an argument or a concern ver- via texting. Um, there's too much in tone. There's too much in heart. There's too much in body language. There's too much in the eyes. There's too much in the uh, the whole mode of communication that's lost through texting or other means. Don't do that. The best you can do with texting is, I love you, hon. (laughs) uh, uh, Or just some innocent uh, update on a piece of information. Do not do relationship through texting. Don't do relationship in terms of the deep stuff, in terms of the hard stuff, in terms of the real meaningful stuff. You can wonderfully... Um, reinforce relationship via texting and little notes of love and affection and all the rest. But you can't fix or deal with deep things of relationship that way. So that's that's one thought. Um, the other thought is this, that particularly if there are, uh, I think all of us would have experienced times in our relationships where where it feels like we get to a stalemate. You know there's a conflict or a disagreement, and it feels like we've talked and talked and talked. can't get any further on that uh Be aware of what the Bible says about those types of things there's you know that's when we need other believers to help us in the process that bring somebody else into that moment and just say, "Can you help us understand each other? Can you help us work through this?" I'm not sure what they're saying. I'm not sure what he's saying or she's saying. Please help me. I want to hear. I want to learn. And it's great for <coughs> couples to actually um, agree to that in peacetime. Not in wartime, but in peacetime. It's the best time to agree to that. Where you just say, uh, Gailey and I just kind of live with this understanding that if we have a disagreement or a conflict that that is a stalemate, We've just said to each other, you have perfect freedom to approach one of the pastors, one of our members of our community group, whoever it is you choose. You have freedom to go and draw them into this 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 struggle that we're having. That way, we know that ahead of time. We know that if we have a conflict that goes more than a couple days, days, uh, we're going to get help. That's great. We're going to get help. And, and if that's agreed on ahead of time... Then it takes some of the the heat out of it or the sting out of it in the moment. Try to do that when you're actively mad at each other, um, and it's going to feel like you know you're trying to get somebody to gang up on the other person. You know, do it when there's peace and 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 even mutually agree on who are your go-to people in conflict, and you'll find this tremendous tremendous help. I love knowing, and I know Gaylene loves knowing that we've already agreed on. We're going to get help if we need it. We're not going to try to figure this out ourselves. All right. Moving on and uh, doing a couple more points here. C, the second C, is celebrate others. Celebrate others. Celebrate others. That's the positive, and that's what we want to accent. You could put in parentheses, cut out the put down. Cut out the put-downs. Celebrate others, parentheses, cut out Mm -hmm. the put-downs. Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 13.7 Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed. Matthew 5 You have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Woe! Jesus is absolutely forbidding put-downs. Insults. Name-calling. You idiot. You fool. You jerk. You're a worthless bum. You're good for nothing. Those those are literally the, the meaning of the word where it says insults here. Uh, the word that Jesus uses is you, you shouldn't say raka. Raka was a, I think an Aramaic word meaning a worthless one. Just, it's, it would be equivalent to jerk. You're, you're a loser. You're a bum. You're an idiot. Jesus saying, don't do that. Because in the eyes of the law of God, that's murder. You have just killed that person. Uh, now again, in Christ, forgiveness but understand that it took the blood of Jesus Christ to atone for that sin. Wow. It's that serious. Right. And without the blood of Christ, you'd go deeper into hell because of that sin. Hmm.
1: That's,
0: that's, that's how serious it is. And that's why I am profoundly troubled by the tone, and not just on Facebook, but in everyday life, the tone of insults and name calling and accusation that is so prevalent even among Christians even among Christians brothers, sisters, it ought not to be so James 3 no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come blessing and cursing My brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's the, that's the negative side of the coin. Cut out the put downs. The positive side of the coin is celebrate others. Look at, notice, call attention to, give honor to, affirm, praise, the good that you're seeing in other people. Make this a major part of your communication life. As a, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a brother, as a sister, as a pastor, as, as people in the congregation. Make it a major part of your co- communication life to, to speak in the celebration of others. To speak in the celebration of what God is doing in other people's lives. Poet- poetry here. Main point: two, ver- two, two little parts to this one. Take moments, take moments with each human being. Take moments with each human being to celebrate the grace you're seeing. Take moments with each human being to celebrate the grace you're seeing. And while you're at it. Cut the scorn, the slicing words by which we're torn. Take moments with each human being to celebrate the grace you're seeing, and while you're at it, cut the scorn, the slicing words by which we're torn. Turn your conversations, even your corrections, even your rebukes that are sometimes necessary, Turn them into celebrations of the grace of God. Use your tongue in a consistent, lifelong ministry of encouragement. Train your eye to see the good in others. Train your heart to value that good in others. Train your tongue to speak that good in others. I am so affected by Hebrews chapter 11. You know the text, it's the great faith chapter, it's the, the God's celebration of His saints, His Old Testament saints. And it's, it's really something. The text speaks more than once of God commending them. God, that's what they're talking about here. God praising them, God affirming them. It says at the end of the chapter that these, in the eyes of God, these were men and women of whom the world was not worthy. What an amazing statement. The world didn't deserve to have these people. And then you start looking down through the list of the people that are named. Virtually every one of them, if not every one of them, had major flaws. One in particular stands out to me. His name is Samson. Friends, I challenge you to read the account of Samson. And a special prize of fifty dollars goes to whoever can find the grace in his life. No, I'm only kidding. Unless C B has fifty dollars. The reality is, you look at Samson's life and you're saying, Okay, I'm looking for grace here. I'm looking for some kind of holiness here. I'm I'm looking for something that indicates that there's any kind of spiritual life in this man and you look can you look can you look and, and then the, the only thing i can see is that when his life was in peril when he wanted vengeance notice his motivation wasn't even holy but when he wanted vengeance on his enemies for plucking out his eyes He knows where to turn to find strength. He prays to God for strength. I don't see any other godliness in the man's life. I don't see any other sign of spiritual integrity or purity or morality, even the right motives. But I do see this. When he was in crisis, he knew that his only help was God. And God says in Hebrews 11, the world was not worthy of him. I said, Man, I wouldn't have seen it that way with Samson. I wouldn't have put him on my commendation list. wouldn't have secured a time in some special event to honor Samson. I would have wanted to just kind of put him in the shadows somewhere. Let's, let's make believe he's not here. But God says, No. I'm going to devote a whole chapter to champions of faith. And here's Samson, who for all of his flaws, knew where to turn when he needed help. Friends, that says a whole lot to me about the heart of God. It says a whole lot to me about how God views me. He doesn't look at... He sees my sins... But that's not what he's looking for. When he looks at me, he's looking for evidences of his grace in my life. He's looking for growth. He's looking for the ways that I'm changing, where I'm more like Jesus, where I'm more loving than I used to be. You know, it's, you remember, uh, Satan enters Job, uh, God's presence in Job chapter one. And, and what does God say? Have you seen my servant Job? I love it. Like a proud father. It's like me with my kids and my grandkids. Can I show you the pictures? <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. Have you seen my servant Joe? That's great, God just, his affection for us. Amen. And his delight in us. And his ability to see, to see whatever good is in us by his grace. He, he, he just looks at it. And so, you know, even when Jesus is rebuking the, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, he precedes, I think, every one of the rebukes with a commendation. He's like, I see your faithfulness. I see your diligence. I see your concern for godliness. I see your passion for truth. I have this against you, but I see all this. Paul even did it with the Athenians. He's in Athens. In the middle of all this pagan idolatry, and what does he say as he begins his sermon, I see that you are very religious. He identifies an area of grace, calls attention to it calls attention. He does that consistently through the book it 's really fascinating to to see Paul does it with the Corinthians. you know the I mean, they were a mess. I mean, they were the Sampsons of the New Testament. I mean, it was true. You know, they were getting everything wrong, it seemed. And yet Paul begins his letter with saying, I thank God for you. And I thank God for the gifts that He has given to you. And He is going to be faithful in your life and bring all of this to completion. He sees that Paul is about to address the mess Address the mess. I have this poetic thing going on. He's going to address the mess. Um, That that was not intended. He's going to address the mess, but not without calling attention to the grace. The grace. Oh, friends, this is this is transformative for life. This is transforming for parenting for marriage, for life in the church and even for your witness for your evangelism try it out sometime. next time you're talking to a God fearing Muslim who obviously takes their faith very seriously and say to them I commend you for taking your faith very seriously It is good to fear God. And I can tell that you fear God. Can I tell you how to be at peace with that God? But your fear of God is a good thing. I know many Christians who don't fear God as much as you do. You're closer to the kingdom than they are. But let me tell you how to get into the kingdom. See. Observe the grace of God. That's common grace. And it's there in every person. Every person you you meet has some manifestation of God's grace in their life. They're made in the image of God. That means they're stamped with something good. And there's more there. See it. Observe it. Call attention to it. Affirm it. Thank God for it. And then build on it. In terms of your witness, your evangelism. Parenting every part of our life. Every relationship in our life. Celebrate others. Celebrate others. And while you're at it, cut out the put-downs. Just Rip those things out of your heart and out of your mouth. And make it the practice to honor and affirm and see... Do to others what Jesus is going to do to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. I can't believe he's going to say that over and Well done. Well done. But, but Lord, that was a mess. Well done. Well done. I live for that. I mean, probably the single biggest motivation of my life. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Others need to hear that from us. Well done. Celebrate others. Okay. A. Assume you are wrong. Assume you are wrong.
1: Huh?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's the response. I was waiting. I was just, I was, I was timing it. How long before somebody Let's out with some sound that says, what in the world are you talking about?
2: Come on, Tim. this well, is... make sure I'm hearing you correctly. <laughs> <You're not laughs> right. You
0: heard me correctly. I mean this absolutely and categorically. Assume you are wrong. You're going to explain
2: how to do that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, here's, here's, here's how it goes.
0: Here's how it goes. First of all, hear the word of God to support the point. 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. (laughs) Oh, Paul. So if I think I know something, it's proof that I don't know it yet. Assume you're wrong. Assume that in every conflict, every opinion, every perspective, every conversation, every exchange of opinion, you are at least partly wrong. Every conflict I've ever had with Galen, as I reflect on it after the fact, I've recognized that I was wrong at least in Either opinion or perspective or attitude or word choice or timing or something. Something was wrong in me. It's its a safe assumption. The only person who can assume otherwise is God. We are fallible. We are our vision, our perception, our knowledge, our insight, our interpretive skills are always flawed. James 3, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then open to reason or willing to yield. The idea there is that true wisdom from heaven, the wisdom that God gives, recognizes right from the start that... Um, I need to be open to reason. I need to be open to correction. I need to be willing to yield. I need to recognize that I am most likely at least partially wrong here. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 26, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It's one thing to be foolish. It's another thing to be foolish and think you're wise. Think you're right. Uh, There's more hope for a fool than for for you, for me, if we're in that place. The point is that if you think you're right, if you're wise in your own eyes, if you assume you're right, uh, you're playing the fool. We're being told here, assume you're wrong. Here's here's the poem. <laughs> I'm likely wrong, let us assume. I'm likely wrong, let us assume. And by this, give the truth some room. I'm likely wrong, let us assume. And by this, give the truth some room. We may safely assume that in every relationship, every conversation, every disagreement, there is at least something to learn. We do not know anything completely or infallibly. And humility and wisdom will posture us to be learners all the time. Every relationship, every conversation. Assume that you are always at least Partly wrong. God of course is never wrong. The wonder of the gospel is he was willing to be treated as wrong. So that we who are wrong could be made right. It's amazing. It's amazing. One of the advantages of getting old as I am is that you, you just know this truth to be true. <laughs> Yeah. It's never a doubt for me anymore. I I know I'm always at least partly wrong. It's just, let's assume it, let's, let's work with it, let's go into the conversation with this. Uh, younger folks have a hard time figuring this out, I think. I can say that. Joshua Harris once said when he was a teenager, I remember hearing this, a teenager is someone who knows not, but he knows not that he knows not. <laughs> Wayne Dyer has written, did you ever notice how difficult it is to argue with someone who is not obsessed with being right? What an insightful question. It's really hard to argue with somebody whose spirit and posture is, I think I have something to learn here. Can't argue with someone who's not obsessed with being right. Are you obsessed with being right? You know, how easily does it come to you to say, I'm wrong? Or do you enter into a conflict or a disagreement with a spirit that says, uh, where am I responsible for this breakdown, for this issue, for this conflict? A friend of mine suggests that in every conflict we ask the question, Are there ways, is this in your note? Are there ways I can take personal responsibility for at least some part of this conflict? Are there ways I can take personal responsibility for at least some part of this conflict? And then he cites Ken Sandy, who says, even if I am only 2% responsible in a conflict, I am 100% responsible for that 2%. It's taking ownership of the flawed state. It's assuming personal responsibility for at least some part of the conflict and a 100% responsibility for that 2%. With a different posture, with a different heart, with a different attitude that produces. And then finally, T, we've already done E, T is think the best. Think the best. Let, let me let me read you a few texts again because it just when I read these texts it just affects me. I hope it does you as well. First Corinthians thirteen: Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know Paul is saying there that when we really love people, we never give up on them and and we realize that god 's grace can still do amazing things in their lives. there's this positive perspective there's this charitable outlook on the outcome of that person's life. First Corinthians one, I just referenced this, but let me read it to you. I give thanks. This is again to the messed up Corinthians. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This, this, Believing the best about them and about God's grace functioning in their life. They were messed up. I mean, some of this strongest correction you find in the New Testament is found in the book of 1 Corinthians. But Paul says, God's going to sustain you. God's going to get you through this. The outcome of this is going to be great. God is faithful. It's going to be all good. Thinking the best. The Galatians, chapter 5, I mean, they too were messed up. But Paul says to them, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Mm -hmm. I have confidence in the Lord that you're going to get through this. You're you're doing some very foolish things, some very unwise things, some, some very confused things. But I've got confidence in the Lord. You'll take no other view than mine. I know God's grace is functioning in your life and He's going to keep you faithful to the truth at the end of the day. Hebrews 6. If the land bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. I I love it. Again, Hebrews full of correction, full of warnings. But the writer says to his readers, we feel sure of better things. God's going to see you through. Amazing text. Examples of thinking the best. Believing the best about others. God alone knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He alone knows what other people are really thinking and why they do the things they do. It's, it's not up to us to judge people Beyond what is unmistakably clear in their actions. We are to be charitable in our judgments of others. We are to be charitable in our interpretations of others' motives and intentions. We are to believe the best. Poetry. Before we jump to think the worst, before we jump to think the worst, believe the best Judge kindly first. Before we jump to think the worst, believe the best. Judge kindly first. When our, when our son David was five years old, David's our youngest, I was, um, (coughs) it was a Saturday morning and our family was going in all directions that particular Saturday and I was my study was home in our home at that point and so I uh I was home in my study. Gailena I think it was about seven o'clock in the morning, had to take the kids to some kind of event or whatever and we had already talked about the fact that David would still be in bed and uh that I'd be I'd be home to be with David while she was out. And meanwhile, I was scheduled at 7.30 to have an appointment in my office, in my home. Uh, and uh, so it all seemed like it was going to work out just fine. However, about 7.20, the guy who was supposed to come to my office to for the counseling, discipleship time, whatever it was, called up, said he couldn't make it. Could I meet him at Friendly's, which was, I don't know, 15 minutes away. Sure I can do that Hopped in the car drove off uh, you see where this is going all right so spend an hour or two at friendlies with this guy and and um, hop in the car come up start on the way back and I don't know half of the way home all of a
1: sudden
0: <sighs> David is home alone five years old. I think they made a movie about this somewhere. <laughs> he's home alone. And I, and I grabbed the phone. I, I called up home, and, and I'm praying, Lord, please let him still be asleep. Somehow, let him still be asleep. And I'm hoping that he doesn't answer the phone, that he's asleep. He's asleep you know. But after a couple of rings, somebody picks up the phone, and, and I hear his little five-year-old voice say, hello. And I said, oh, David, I'm so sorry. You're home alone. And he said, that's okay. That is. No, it's not okay. I'm sorry. And let's just stay on the phone. I'm on the way home now. I'll be there in just a few minutes. And, and so we, you know, we, we, I talked, we talked away home. I jumped out of the car when I got there. My, my friend had, had, had gotten a ride with another guy was driving. I jumped out of the car and, uh, It was one of those uh, little house on the prairie moments where everything should have gone slow motion and all that sentimental music playing. You know know what I'm talking about? You know, you know. It's you know me running toward the house and I'm I'm expecting David to come running out and and you know I run into the house and David comes around the, the kitchen cabinet. I pick him up in my arms and I just I'm I'm all over him with. I'm so sorry, David. This was my fault. I I just, I just, I'm so sorry. And I was crying, and I was weeping, and I'm holding him. And I was, Come on, let's go sit down, and I sit down in my recliner. And I'm holding him on my lap, and I'm, you know, I spent a half hour just, I'm bawling. He's just kind of looking at me blank, but, it, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just, you know, it's okay, Dad. It's okay, Dad. No, I'm so sorry. I uh, you know. So I you know, finally I've recovered <laughs> and, uh, and uh, that evening we're at some friends' house, and uh I, I don't know how I did this; it was still very raw for me, but it I somehow or other, it came up in conversation, so i was I was uh telling the story to our friends and somewhere in the the story, David, who's sitting right to my left, David interrupts me five year old kid, and he says to me. Quote Dad kept saying it was his fault, but I like to think that it was nobody's fault. Oh. And then I start crying all over. Oh man, oh man, it was it, But what was going on? This little five year old heart was judging charitably. Not reading bad intentions into bad actions or mistakes or problems. He was doing what I too rarely do. He was doing the opposite of what many of us do. You're driving down the road and somebody pulls in front of you. I'm going after you, man. Pulls in front of you goes 20 miles an hour below the speed limit. In a Prius. In a Prius. You're thinking of a specific person, aren't you? Right. Right. And, and you get mad, and you get angry. And many go far beyond that. We'll just leave that unsaid, unspoken, undescribed. The reality is that there is rage, there is anger, there is yelling, there is upset. Now I want to ask you something. Do you think they did it on purpose? Do you think they did it? They did it intentionally to irritate you. You think so? Okay. If you're going to go that route, folks. I'm, if,
1: if, I see all right. You were
0: smart. If you're gonna go there, let me let me come at you then, alright. Have you ever cut in front of somebody else and gone below the speed limit? And if you say no, you're a liar. Never. <laughs> Never. Have you ever done it and had them get mad at you and then you get mad at them for being mad at you because you knew it was just a mistake? Right. All right. <laughs> Alright All right. All right now, let's get real here folks. The reality is that when we get mad at the person who cuts us off, it is, it is a, it is a moment of raw, uncharitable judgment. You and I have done it to others a thousand times. And Suddenly looked at the speedometer and realized we were 15 miles under the speed limit. What happened? Well, first of all, we may have just misjudged the distance that the car was at. It wasn't as if you were sitting on the side road and (gasps) waiting for them to come and thinking, no, they're not close enough yet. (laughs) (laughs) This is gonna be fun, (laughs) you know. We just don't do it. That's nobody does that. No what?
1: He does. He does. <laughs> oh
0: man, we're we're getting into some real. Yeah, we're getting. All, right. all right. I confess, right. I didn't mean what I said.
1: Right. Some
0: people do do yeah. that. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh, who will remain nameless. But the reality is 999 out of a 1,000 people who cut you off or you cut them off. It is done unintentionally. It's a misjudgment of distance. It's a distraction of mind. It's an argument you just had with your spouse. It's a stress that's going on with your child. It's the news item that just came over the radio. It may even be the song that you really like, that your heart suddenly connected to. And you lost attention. And you unintentionally did something that offended, delayed somebody else. And you're upset when they judge you uncharitably. Do unto others as you would have them do That's unto you. Folks, this is, this is not just for traffic patterns and, and, and issues. This is for life. This is for life. This is for everything. This is for everything. This is how we treat people. No matter what is done. Put it into the best possible light. Interpret it with the best charitable judgment Mm -hmm. that you can. That's not to be naive. That is not to say that things people do that are wrong are not wrong. That's not to say that we don't confront. If your brother offends you, go to them in private. That's not to say we live in make-believe. It's not to say we live in denial. It's not to say we're not realistic. But it is to say simply we put the best possible interpretation On everything that people say and do to us. It's how we want to be treated. We know what it's like when people misinterpret us. We know what it's like and how deeply it pains us when people (coughs) cast a negative interpretation on something that was intended positively. We've all experienced it. Why did they think the worst? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Before we jump to think the worst, believe the best. Judge kindly first. As I wrap it up, let me let me just uh, say a couple of things. Um, can I can I say to you? I don't know how exactly to say this. um, But what you've heard this morning, um, you're going to have to review it. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to renew your mind with it. You're going to have to be diligent to be not hearers only, but doers of it. Otherwise, you will lose it by Monday. I'm telling you, you will. This only changes the life when there is intentional, deliberate, persistent application of it to the life. It cannot happen otherwise. This is too life-changing. And it is that. I'm here to tell you, you do life this way, everything changes. Your relationships change, your marriage changes, your everything changes. So it's so glorious about God's Word. But it doesn't change automatically. And you're not gonna remember this a week from now. You're just not. Life is gonna, life is gonna swallow it up. You'll never hear from it or see it again unless you intentionally go back to it and study it and review it and renew your mind with it. You may want to memorize the acrostic. I bet you we could almost do it here already. But just, just review it. Review it daily. So at least those 11 points. Chill. Open up. Make time. Mean what you say. Understand what you hear. Nourish with grace. Immediately resolve. Celebrate others. Think the best. Examine your heart. There's there's something to work with right there. That's easy to do. I mean, probably ten minutes of review and reflection and intentional memorization, you can have that down. And carry it with you carry it with you and that's not because ooh, Tim came up with something clever those are just biblical principles I, You know, I, I, all I've done for you today is collected some text of scripture and said Here, here's how God says to do communication and, and relationship application will also require that you work on all these things all at once and that's where it's a little different than maybe some other areas of growth and sanctification um because you really, do, I said this earlier. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to work if you say in a relationship, "Well, I'm willing to talk, but don't expect me to listen to." Or, you know, I want you to understand what I'm hearing, but I'm not going to understand what you're hearing. This doesn't work. These things. This is a package. This is a relational package here. And finally, you are you are going to fail. You're you're going to sin. You're going to blow it with your tongue. Who can tame the tongue? It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Remember the rest of James chapter 4, where James tells us God gives grace to the humble. And James tells us repent and mourn. For God's grace will pour into your life. Yeah, you've got conflicts going on. Your communication stinks. But God, God's grace abounds. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. Repent and mourn. And, and the grace of God is just poised and ready to forgive. Believe the Gospel. Get up from your moments of failure. Ask forgiveness and move on. Don't, don't grovel. Don't say, oh man, I'm never gonna get this. No. Believe the gospel. Get up from your moment of failure. Ask forgiveness and move on. Just, just move on. Don't wallow. Get up. Ask forgiveness. Move on. Pursue it. Pursue it. Get, it. that's what the gospel lets us do. The reality that we are functioning from approval from acceptance not for approval and for acceptance the reality that we are forgiven that we have been uh, had imputed to us the perfect speech of Christ these realities enable us in our moments of failure to get up and ask forgiveness and move on move on so let me let me finish by reading you the whole poem plus a couple stanzas added on just based on what I just said. And I think this is in the back of your notes there, the complete version, which if you didn't notice before, I didn't tell you so that you'd have to write it down all the way through. In any case, here it is. Whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God that rules your heart. To keep from war and little spat, turn down the anger thermostat. To hide the heart... And spirit close does far more harm than we suppose. Talk takes time, so choose to plan how much and when as best you can. Being heard depends on you. Make all your words both straight and true. To listen, cover mouth with hand and bend the ear to understand. Our gladness in relationships flows from the stream of grace-filled lips. To guard from friendship going bad, don't ever go to bed still mad. Take moments with each human being to celebrate the grace you're seeing. And while you're at it, cut the scorn, the slicing words by which we're torn. I'm likely wrong, let us assume, and by this give the truth some room. Before we jump to think the worst, believe the best, judge kindly first. Be diligent, apply it all, but grace yourself for many a fall for fail you will though hard you try but jesus came for sins to die Amen. so mourn your sins and cling to grace and get right up and rejoin the race you need not in despair be flung for god will sanctify your tongue so there is grace anointing the whole process let's pray Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your word. Father, it is a light to our path. Um, You have not left us in the dark. There is actually a way to do life and do relationships and do fellowship and do marriage and do parenting, do brotherhood and sisterhood and evangelism and witness in a broken world. There is a way to do it that leads to healing and wholeness and hope. Thank you. Thank you for light and truth. Lord, thank you too for the gospel that reminds us that when we fail, we can still rejoin the race. And uh, there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you for these men and women for their love for you. Now bless them, bless their homes, bless their families, bless this church. Uh, Father, for your glory, in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Good, uh, I have, uh, a poem of my own. And, uh, yeah. And then just one word of application. And Ben and John, feel free to add to this if uh if there's anything you guys have as well. Um, this this is a thank you poem. Uh it's not Robert Frost, but I hope it encourages you both. Tim and Gaileen, thank you for coming to teach us the word. Because Christ has forgiven us, we don't feel like turds. <laughs> Well, he was going through his last point. I mean, this was a masterpiece that I wrote down. So this is huge for me. Whenever I open up to use my voice, may I remember I have a choice. This is Mozart. Um, To build up rather than tear down, to make someone smile rather than to make them frown. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if you want I, we can add that to your, yeah, to the your yeah, Uh, Just one one quick word of application. Um, Tim was just saying by Monday, so much of this will be forgotten. It's so true. I mean, the impact of the preached word so often is right in the moment when the Spirit stirs our hearts. I think it's wise to strike while the iron's hot, so to speak, when we apply sermons or when we apply just uh, teachings like this. Uh, We always think, oh man, I've got to review those notes, but you know, life starts to move on, things get busy, and we can tend to forget, so... um, one of the things to just keep in mind is you know, perhaps some of you have a ride home, uh, talk with someone about how God stirred your heart while Tim was teaching us the Word of God um, and start in on this question. I think this is where I need to grow in communication. Um, this is how I was convicted. Um, uh, husband's probably not wise to say this is where I think you need to grow. Um, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Start with where you need to grow and um, all will be well. Um, so uh but in all seriousness I think you know taking uh the leadership men in having a conversation that will uh lead to us applying this and moving forward in our marriages and not just staying static. I think so while we just get in the car, just move on and just move on with our lives as if this this never happened, sometimes, honestly, we as men especially can fear if I raise this and say this is where I was convicted, we're going to get the pile on and so our pride is just like, you know what, it's not going to go there, we'll just leave well enough alone and we heard the word today and let's just go on, but like Tim said, if you don't apply the word of God into your life, into your marriage, into your relationships, and talk about where you feel like you need to grow a lot of times um, the the growth that could have happened can be lost because we just don 't intentionally apply the word in our lives in the moment, so I, I want to talk with Shannon later on about I, I need to do a better job really of making more time for us to have just real focused conversation. Life can just be getting so busy and and uh, so often life can go from working hard to vegging hard rather than working hard coming home and engaging the family engaging my kids engaging my wife engage i just I, I can be tempted to want to disengage when i'm in the home and so thank you Tim because i felt like god really ministered to my heart and convicted me i think that's a selfish disposition in myself that i need to ask shannon to forgive me for and uh thanks to you i want to say hey sorry uh that's okay but just no, I'm sorry I've been selfish. Will you please forgive me for being selfish? Then she actually has something to forgive me for, which is a sin of selfishness that um, then I can receive forgiveness and really experience grace and more and willing change by the power of the Spirit. So, thank you all. Thanks for being here today. Wasn't this great? Yeah. Yeah. Can we thank Tim again? <laughs> Hallelujah. Feel free to linger around and uh, encourage Tim and Gayleen specifically. And... Uh...